Hey, it's great to be here, and uh, I, I love the hills, and uh, I, I know that you guys do as well. It's nice to go to a church where, where people actually want to be there, and you can just tell that just out in the lobby area and by hearing you all sing and worship and interact with one another. Uh, so hello to Theater One, hello to Theater Two, hello to Branchville Campus. I'm hanging out in Theater One right now. They have to separate uh, one and two because Paul and Ryan, there are laws in Indiana on how much talent you can have in one room. So that's why they, they've split it. But uh, I wish I could sing like those guys. They have such incredible energy. I feel like I lost two pounds just watching them. Uh, <laughs> But I appreciate the fact there are some things you can't change, right? And uh, I love to hear people who have the gift of singing because I, I don't have that gift. My, uh, my parents used to ask me to sing softly and tenderly on a hill far away. Uh, <laughs> gives you some idea what, what my voice is like. But there are some things you can change about yourself, and there are other things that you, that you can't change. And uh, I found out a few years ago that there was something in my life that I couldn't change. I found out that I was lactose intolerant. And so if you don't know what that is, it basically means that you are not allowed to eat any of your favorite foods. <laughs> and that's kind of how that works. But uh, lots of times when I go to speak, they will ask questions about, do you have any food allergies? And then they will they'll want to dive in and they'll pass that news on to whoever's in charge of a meal if you're speaking at a banquet or attending something. And my experience has been that they do a pretty good job of gathering the information. They don't always do the greatest job of passing that information on. And so I will sit down at a luncheon or something. They'll bring my meal and it will be macaroni and cheese and a glass of whole milk and buttermilk pie with uh, some ice cream on the side, right? Maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but uh, that, that's what it feels like. But there was one time where they got it right for me. And it was when I was in Nashville, Tennessee for an event and there was about 70 people there. And I had turned in that I had a food allergy and sure enough, uh, this guy who was in charge of the event had brought in a Grammy Award uh, winning singer. And so we were all excited about the night. The guy was seated about eight feet away from me at another table. And uh, they started delivering the entrees to the tables. And the lady in charge was helping to deliver these. And when she set them down at her side of the table, uh, a gal put mine down in front of me. And no sooner had she put it down that the lady in charge started screaming, said, no, 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 that's not his. He's lactose intolerant. <laughs> In the whole room, everyone could hear it, right? So now everybody is staring at me, men, women, Grammy Award winners, you know, they're all just staring at me. And my, I can feel my face getting red and I can see people whispering and saying, you know, I knew there was something wrong with him, uh, <laughs> trying to size me up. And even at my own table, People on either side of me are taking their chair and they're scooting over just a little bit. And uh, one of them was my wife, you know. So, so it's, it's not easy. There are some things you can change and there's some things that you can't change. But today I'm going to talk to you about something that you can change. And if you haven't been really excelling in this area in the past, you can excel at it in the future and, and you can improve. Bill Murray is one of my favorite actors of all time. It's probably because of the uh, intellectual roles that he has taken in deep thrillers like Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, or my personal favorite, What About Bob? 
And there was a documentary that was done on Bill Murray a, a few years ago, and I discovered that it actually just looks at how he enjoys investing into other people's lives. And he hasn't let the fame change who he is, and he thoroughly enjoys creating memorable moments for total strangers. In fact, he goes out of his way in order to make them the focus. But Bill is so different because he realizes that there is a power in helping someone have an amazing experience. One time he was in a, a different city than where he lives, and he saw a street that was filled with all sorts of cars, and so he realized there must be a party someplace. And so he just parked his car, and he started following people in, and he went into the party, and people are like, what in the world is Bill Murray doing here? And uh, he asked someone, hey, where's the host and hostess? And somebody said, well, they're in the kitchen. And so he went in, and the host and hostess were doing dishes. He said, hey, what, what are you all doing? He said, well, we, we don't have enough plates and things for everybody here. So when they get done eating something, then we're, we're washing those dishes so we got enough as more people come in. Bill Murray says, you know what? He said, I don't know anybody here. Why don't you guys go and entertain your guests and be with them, and I, I'm, I'm going to wash the dishes. And so that's what he did for the next hour. And then he left just as, as quietly as he had come. Another time, uh, he went into a bar, and the place was jam-packed, and they didn't have enough workers. And Bill Murray just walked back to the back and said, hey, do you guys need an extra bartender tonight? And they said, oh, yeah, you know how to do it. They said, oh, yeah, I'm great at it. And uh, sure enough, e everybody got a drink. No one got what they ordered. But everybody left happy because Bill Murray had, had made something for them. My favorite story is when he flew into uh, San Francisco airport and he had to take a cab for 90 minutes. This was about eight, eight or nine years ago. And he got in with his cabbie and as they were driving the first few minutes, he said, uh, what, what do you like to do in your free time? He said, well, cabbie said, I, I like to play the saxophone. He said, uh, are you pretty good at it? He said, how can you be good at something when you, you are driving a cab for 14 hours a day? And Bill Murray said, well, let me ask you this. He said, where's your saxophone? He said, it's in the trunk. He said, pull over. So the guy pulled over. He said, get, get your saxophone. While the guy went back to the trunk to get the saxophone, Bill Murray slipped in the front seat and locked the door. And the guy comes back and says, hey, let, let me in, let me in. He said, no, you get in the back seat. He said, why? He said, you get in the back seat. You're going to have 90 minutes. You're going to get to practice your saxophone. Later, Bill Murray was asked, why, why in the world did you do that? And he said, well, really, it's just two plus two. Any would have, anyone would have done the same thing. I, I don't know how to play the saxophone, but I do know how to drive a car. He said, it just seemed kind of obvious. Then he said this. He said, all you have to do is make yourself available. Story after story, one common thread is that Bill Murray always makes the other person the object of attention, and he does something that gives them value. And throughout the Bible... We see numerous everyday encounters that Jesus has, has done just that with one person at a time. While the world chases the crowds, Jesus loved the person who was right there in front of him. And if as a church, the hills truly wants to reach the Midwest for Jesus, then you will have to build relationships with people. And it must be evident that you love and you value them, that this, this must become a priority so today, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you to pour into people one at a time. And I want to talk about one of the main ways that Jesus did that. You know what it was? It was by sitting at a table. It was by having a meal with someone. And he, he did it time and time again. 
when, when you begin to study the role that meals play in the Jewish culture, you'll discover that the meals were an opportunity for significant relationships to be built. In our, our text, if you want to turn to it in your Bible or on your mobile device, and we'll, we'll have it on the screen as well, is Luke chapter 19, the third book in the New Testament. And it's a familiar Bible story. You probably know it. But we begin with, with, with verse 1. And you probably uh, could quote some of this. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, let me give you a description of how a tax collector was viewed back in that culture. They were greedy. They were self-serving. On the social scale, they were probably a rung beneath a prostitute. They, they were a tax collector. Why were they so hated? Well, it's because tax collectors extorted people of their money. And they would actually bid for the opportunity to be the tax collector at the most highly traveled areas or, or intersections. And the busier the intersection, the more they were willing to pay because they knew that it was more lucrative because there were more people that they could cheat. Look back at verse 5. The message paraphrases it and says it like this. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. And I love this because Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. And by this point in, in Jesus' ministry, many people knew Jesus' name, but the fact that Jesus knew his name, Zacchaeus, come down. Well, that, that changes everything. And please don't see this as some insignificant detail in the story. There are a lot of times in the New Testament where we see Jesus calling someone by name. Uh, Simon Peter, he does that. He does that with... Uh, he does that with Mary Magdalene as well. He does it with Lazarus. He calls out Lazarus' name. He says it there at the cemetery because if he hadn't called out Lazarus' name, everybody would have walked out of the tomb. And so he makes certain to specify it in that setting. But when you learn someone's name that is an acquaintance or, 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 or someone that you've just seen somewhere or crossed paths with, when you learn their name, all of a sudden they become a friend. They have value to you. And now you can speak into their life. So Jesus is going to continue his conversation. He's going to do something that your mom taught you to never do, and that is to invite yourself somewhere. And Jesus is going to say to Zacchaeus, hey, let's do lunch. In fact, let's do it today, and let's go to your place. That's what Jesus says to him. Look back at the rest of verse 5. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. And Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. I love that word, grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? And at first glance, you'd think, why would Jesus want to deepen a relationship with a scoundrel who has cheated so many people? Well, I can answer that question with, with Jesus' own words. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's those who are sick. And that's why Jesus wanted to be with him. They, they criticized Jesus for eating with sinners. But think about it. Hey, who, who else does Jesus have to eat with <laughs> but sinners? That's his only choice. When we look at this straight from, from the Greek in which the New Testament comes from, Jesus literally says, I must come to your home today. 
In, in the original language, it means this, this is necessary. In other words, this meal with Zacchaeus is a divine appointment. And people are always going to question your motives when you spend time with people whose actions are not honoring God. And going to someone's home for a meal was and still is a very relational experience. It communicates, I want to build a relationship with you. Just make certain that you are having more of an influence on them than they are having on you. And what I want to do with, with the, the next 20 or so minutes is I, I, I want to talk about four observations about meals. Observation number one, meals have a way of breaking down barriers. I mean, that's true, isn't it? But, but why is it? Well, it's because across the table, a person can, can see, they can sense your heart because you're not side by side. Now you're face to face. And the food and the drink become a distraction. And when that happens, the defenses come down and conversations flow and friendships are forged. I guess it was about four years ago, my, my daughter, Savannah, uh, who many of you all know, works on staff here at the Hills, uh, she went on a mission trip with me to Africa. And before we left the country, uh, left Africa to come back home, we met a server at a restaurant at the hotel where we were staying. And we got to know her over the course of having probably three meals at that restaurant where we were staying, and we started requesting her. Her name was Yvonne, and if she had things that were slow, she would come over and talk to us, and she took good care of us. We liked her. She, she liked us. It was fun getting to know Yvonne. But after we returned to the States, we, we got WhatsApp on, on our phone, and so Savannah and I, we could stay in touch with her, and we could pray for her. And she's talked to our whole family at, at different times, at different family gatherings, on holidays. We, we video chat with her. She knows every one of our family members. She can call every one of them by name. And Beth sometimes or I will, will pray with her over the phone or with she and her boyfriend. And the kids will pray for her. So here were a couple of, of meals way back in 2017 with Yvonne that are still bearing fruit years later, and spiritual growth continues to take place. Now, we don't know exactly how things unfolded at this meal with Jesus and Zacchaeus, but one thing we know for sure, it, it bore fruit, and it continued to bear fruit. And evidently, there was some teaching. There was some question and answers with Jesus. There was some one-on-one -on -one time where during this meal, the barriers began to come down, and the barriers that kept Zacchaeus from living a, a God-honoring life began to come down. And that seems to happen when you have a meal around the table. Well, here's a second observation. An invitation to a meal communicates value. Well, why is that? Well, it, it says, you are important to me. You are in my life. You are in my schedule. When I was a kid, uh, my parents would look for international students uh, at the college where my dad worked, and they would have them come over for holiday meals at Christmas or at Thanksgiving because my parents knew that, that those people didn't have the money to go all the way back home and then to come back the next week. And so they invited them and, and they would join us for, for family holiday meals. And what they were doing is they were communicating value to them. And when you invite someone to a meal or when you go to a restaurant and take someone out for, for dinner, what you are doing is you are living out the New Testament principle to honor others above yourself. 
What a contrast from so many in our world who enjoy turning the spotlights on themselves rather than on others. They turn the spotlight inward rather than outward. Several years ago, a friend of mine was traveling. He was in in Louisville, but he was down in Fort Myers, Florida for several days. And then on his way back, he got stuck in the Fort Myers airport. There were storms, there were there was lightning, and all sorts of flights got canceled. And as a result, you've probably been in situations like this where everybody is angry, flights have been canceled, people are going to miss their connections. And there was a long line of people that were there trying to change their flights, and there was a very efficient Delta agent that was going through rebooking flights for each passenger one at a time. And there was a really long line that had assembled But there was one belligerent, obnoxious guy who proudly walked past everybody in line. And he came up to the counter and he just walked past everybody. And he came up and he said to the agent, he said, hey, he said, "Uh, you need to change my flights right now. And she politely said, well, uh, you know what, sir, if if you go to the back and and get in line, I'll be glad to, to serve you in a few minutes when I can get to you. And the man said, do you know who I am? And then he said it loud enough for everyone in the line to hear. He said, do you know who I am? And the woman just calmly grabbed the microphone. She said, ladies and gentlemen, evidently we have someone here who does not know who he is. (laughs) If you've lost an adult and you'd like to reclaim him, he is here at the ticket counter. And she went right back to the person that was there. The guy stormed off cussing while everyone in line cheered. You can see it happening, right? We love that. Why is it that pride and arrogance are so evident to others and yet they go unnoticed by those who seem to excel in them? And yet the people that we tend to avoid are are those people due to their pride, due to their greed, due to their immorality. And those are the very people who Jesus Christ wanted to have lunch with. They're the very people that Jesus beat a path to their door, the ostracized, the overlooked, the obnoxious. People matter to God, and so they should matter to us. And I don't know exactly what Jesus said to Zacchaeus at that lunch. I wonder if Jesus recounted some sections from the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he said some of those same lines. You, you can't serve two masters. You can't love both God and money. We don't know what he said. In in verse 8, it tells us the end result of their mealtime conversation. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Here's our third observation. Meals can lead to transformation. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus makes one decision because of one conversation at one meal, and he will never be the same. And Zacchaeus is going to be a busy man because the next few months he's going to be spending his time righting wrongs and making restitution and asking people for forgiveness. You see, repentance will always cost you something, always. But what you gain in forgiveness and in fulfillment, those are far beyond the price tag of repenting. And after the meal, this tax collector allowed his newfound relationship with Jesus to transform his behavior. Maybe you have some repenting to do. Maybe it's in regards to spending or saving or giving. 
But maybe it's something totally different where Jesus just wants to make changes in your life. Maybe it's in your language. Maybe it's in the way you treat people. Maybe it's in your friendship circle. Maybe it's your sporadic church attendance. Maybe it's who you choose to date. And the change of heart and the change of direction can display itself in a variety of ways. But don't miss this. The height of your transformation will be determined by the depth of your repentance. And so it's up to you. And Zacchaeus dug deep. And if you're just changing things on the surface and not down deep within, then the change will be short-lived. Back a, a couple of months before the COVID pandemic, I was speaking for a fundraising weekend for a ministry organization. It was being held uh, the entire weekend at a really nice hotel in Pennsylvania. And my wife Beth and I had just finished on the first day eating a meal at the restaurant at the hotel that first day. And I got talking with someone in the restaurant. And when I came out to leave, Beth, my wife, was talking to a waitress that was there toward the front. And when I came walking out a minute later, she said to me, she said, oh, Dave, I, I want you to meet Leah. Guess where she's from? I said, where, where is she from? She said, she's from Kenya. And I said, oh, it's unbelievable. I said, I went there a couple of years ago with my daughter. We had a great time. And I said, we met a waitress who was there, and we still stay in touch with her. Maybe you know her. <laughs> How stupid. That's the stupidest thing a person can say. You know, like there's some uh, group on Facebook of waitresses in the world. You know, you know, served the coffee. He said it was too cold, you know. Um, <laughs> so I felt really weird. But I was mad at myself because it's a pet peeve that I have because whenever I travel and speak and I'm out of state, when someone hears that I'm from Kentucky, after the service, they always come up and say the same thing. They say, hey, uh, got a nephew who lives in Kentucky. Maybe you know him. I'm like, well, uh, what's his name? His name is Bubba. <clears throat> well, we have four and a half million people in Kentucky and we have a lot of Bubba's, all right? And so I, it's just awkward. And so now I find myself falling to, into my own trap, and I say it. I say, maybe, maybe you know her. And so now I have to carry this out to completion. I'm embarrassed. My wife is looking like, you know, loser. I married a loser. <laughs> Lactose intolerant, loser, you know. <laughs> but I was in so deep, I had to awkwardly continue to carry this out. And so I reached for my phone. I quickly found a picture on Instagram of Yvonne, and I showed it to Leah, and I said, uh, this is her right here. And you know what Leah says? Yvonne! I, I said, well, what? She said, Yvonne! She said, I worked at the Radisson with her. I said, you got to be kidding me. So to confirm this, my wife took this picture of me standing with Leah. I'm the taller one. With, Le with Leah right there. And sure enough, I send that immediately to Yvonne on WhatsApp. And Yvonne writes back and says, we worked at the Radisson together. That's Leah. And then she said, we actually live in the same neighborhood. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Our God is a powerful God and a personal God. And as we walked to our hotel room, I asked Siri, I said, what's the current population of Kenya? And she said, 47,564,294. God just put us in her path. 
we invited her to come to a worship service that I preached at the hotel. She came. <laughs> the next day when we had dessert with Leah, Leah shared with Beth, I can't believe this is happening. She said, I, I've lived here for over two months. I don't have any friends here. I miss my family so much. God knew how lonely I was, and so he sent you all. And Beth looked at her and said, God sees you. God hears you. God knows what you need. You see, God will put people in your path too. God loves to orchestrate meals and conversations. He loves to intersect people one at a time. And one meal in Kenya can lead to one dessert in Pennsylvania. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And that phrase that says through your conversations and, and meals that you are to, to bring the sweet aroma of Christ, to whom? To those who are saved and to those who are perishing. In other words, those meals are to be with those who are Christians and also with those who are not Christians. So you may, in a mealtime, encourage a, a seasoned saint. You might have coffee with a, a younger believer in the faith. You, you might have lunch with someone who is a total skeptic when it comes to Jesus Christ. But never underestimate the power of a meal, whether it's homemade or store-bought, whether it's at Brew Burger or whether it's at your home. God can use that to establish friendships and deepen and build relationships. Now, not every meal, not every conversation will always lead to a conversion experience like it did with Zacchaeus, but it could pave the way. You will never reap a harvest if you never plant a seed. And in verse 9, Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And Jesus said salvation has come to this house. Here's the final observation. Mealtime discussions may eventually lead a person to salvation. You might lead a person to salvation. Maybe you heard about the young couple. They were out shopping. They had their five-year-old son with them. And the longer they shopped, the more interested they became in the clothing and the less they became interested in what their son was doing. And they had been looking at clothes in different places and they thought that the boy was with the other parent. And after about five minutes, they started looking around. They couldn't find him. And so other people that worked at the store got involved and they started looking around for, for him everywhere. It was a big place, and they had staff and others and even people helping out looking, and they couldn't find him anywhere. And just about the moment when it was that time when they sensed, well, he, he must have been abducted. Something must have happened to him. Over the loudspeaker, they heard, heard this. They heard, would Mr. and Mrs. Bernard Johnson please report to the manager's office on the second level? And they went bounding up the escalator steps, and they they went to the manager's office and they threw open the door. And as soon as they threw up the door, they saw their five-year-old sitting back behind the desk with his feet propped up, sipping on a cold Coke, having the time of his life. But when the child saw the worried and frantic expression on his parents' faces, his smile immediately gave way to tears. Do you realize why? He had no idea he was lost until he was found. And on a daily basis, you rub shoulders with people who are in precisely the same spiritual condition. And they do not have a clue 
but they're lost for all eternity. And that's where you come in. That's where you can talk with them. That's where you can build a relationship with them. I'm not sure what all the topics were that Jesus covered with Zacchaeus, but he covered enough because in verse 8, Zacchaeus calls him Lord and, and calls him Master. So what needed to be covered was covered. And in the last verse of this passage, Jesus basically answers the earlier question that the people had asked, why would he eat a meal with, with such a sinful and selfish man? And here's the answer, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If that's why Jesus came, then that would probably be good for us to make that a priority in our lives too. In April, we invited a young couple over to our home for dinner. We prayed before they got there that God would, would give us the opportunity to, to learn where they were in their faith and prayed that some good questions and conversation would come up. And it was amazing just how things opened up. Uh, the distraction of dinner dropped their defenses and allowed our conversations to go beneath the surface to go deeper. And in May, I watched their best friends baptize them into Christ. And that description, that decision never would have happened if we hadn't been in that meal setting, face to face, all by ourselves, without other interruptions. In your life, beat up tables in your home can become places of testimony. Meals can provide a method. Restaurants can become a resource for real relationships. Now, I wish it was always as simple as that, and it, it, it works out that way, but usually it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience and a listening ear and a lot of prayer. And a lot of times, because of this thing called free will, it never comes to fruition. It was about 10 years ago, I was about to turn 50, and my wife Beth let my son Sam and I play golf for three days in a row out of town at a really nice course. And it was a, a really generous gift from her uh, that, that I actually paid for. Um, <laughs> but you know how that works, right? But it was a really nice course, and they, they assigned a caddy to you each day with every foursome. And that's a rare treat to have somebody else carrying your stuff around or handing you your club and telling you how far you've got to hit your next shot and what to avoid. But our foursome both days or three days in a row had the same young lady caddy and she was a really good golfer and and she knew the course extremely well she had a great sense of humor she would make fun of my swing and she would help my son with his swing so so there's that but uh when we were getting ready to leave after that last day I said hey our family likes to pray for people is there anything in your life that we can be praying for and she immediately said yeah she said, you can pray that I find God. And I said, okay. I said, are you looking for him? She said, no. And I replied, well, that's going to be a tough one if you're not looking for him, but we'll be glad to pray for that. You say, well, Dave, that sounds almost senseless. Sounds like a royal waste of time to, to pray for that. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you something that Jody doesn't know yet I pray to a God who specializes in the impossible I read from a book that says nothing is impossible with God I preach in churches where every row has a person who found God when they weren't really looking for him and that's what I know 
And that's what I believe. And so we pray that God will place people in her life who can help move her closer to Christ. And from a long ways away, we, we try to plant seeds through Christmas cards to her every year and occasional texts just to encourage her or sending her something to listen to. We even got to have a meal with her a few years ago, and it's led to more dialogue. But here's my challenge. In your life, pray the simple prayer at the start of every day. Lord, will you cross my path? Will you intersect my life with a person who I can spiritually encourage? If you pray that prayer, I promise you he will. He will just bring people into your life. Prayer is an invitation for God to do what we cannot do. After 10 years, that caddy still has not committed her life to Jesus. But next Sunday, I will be preaching 2,000 miles from here. And that caddy will be seated next to my wife in a church service. And she will be listening to me preach. And I promise you, she will hear the gospel again. And maybe, just maybe, that will be her day to willingly cross that line and move from doubt to belief. Our job isn't to save people. Our job is to lovingly lead them to the one who can save them. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that that he died on a cross as a perfect atoning sacrifice to pay for my sins, that he was buried, that he conquered the grave. And because he conquered the grave, if I put my trust in Jesus Christ, I can conquer the grave too. Here's a perfect son of God coming to hang out with the lowest rung on the social ladder in all of Jericho. And that encourages me because that means that Jesus wants to be involved in my life too. And if Bill Murray can love on people and give them honor and value, then I'll bet you can too. And starting a conversation with someone may really take you out of your comfort zone, but remember that Christ-like compassion will always involve a risk and a reach. And if you pray, God will guide you in what it is that you need to say. And he will open those doors for coffee and conversations, for dinners and for dialogue. He just will. Because as I said earlier, you will never reap a harvest if you never plant a seed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the example that you set and the way you interacted with Zacchaeus. And Lord, we know there are people every day that we come in contact with and some of them are lonely, some of them are anxious, some of them are are down. Some of them just need to have a word of encouragement. Lord, would you help us to be receptive and open and on the lookout for those opportunities? And Lord, may we take it a step further and have a meal with them. It's in Jesus' name we pray.